Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. It seems like we are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed after replay last night. It's actually many. I mean, we were thinking there would be about less than ten people. Yeah, I lost the bet to Shabazz. I told him last year I actually had the 9 a.m. session right after replay, and I still had 125 people in the room. So all of you are very dedicated, so we really appreciate it. And you must really want to hear about business cases, so we're really excited to talk about that. So my name is Shabazz Alam. I lead one of the professional services teams based out of New York. I'm Rehan Qureshi. I lead the professional services team out of Canada. Great. And so today we're going to be speaking to you about you know, building a solid business case for cloud migration. So you know, our whole goal here is to make, make it really simple and easy for you, right? So first of all, it's really not rocket science, right? It's just, just a straightforward business case. So, you know, why is it that companies are moving to the cloud? How many of you are already using AWS? Okay, and then how many of you are thinking about using AWS but still haven't dipped your toe in the water? Okay, for a few of you. So, when we look at the landscape today, there's a number of different disruptors happening in the environment. Right? So if you look at Airbnb for hotels, you look at Spotify for music, you look at Xiaomi for devices, you look at Oscar for health insurance in the U.S., right? all these companies are natively building their technology solutions on AWS. And you know, one of the key things is they've been able to disrupt a market that's been longstanding for years on end. And so how do they decide to do this? And how can you utilize the same capacity in AWS? Right? So, the key parts of building a business case and, con and convincing your team members as well as your executive to do so are really f four simple parts, right? Total cost of ownership, right? Technology optimization, cost of change, and business value, right? So total cost of ownership, TCO, is what's been around for years and years on end, right? And TCO has, has occurred You've done this analysis for last 20 plus years, right? Ever since technology has really been at the forefront of everything. So what is a TCO? Just, it's, an, it's an analysis of your infrastructure environment for a specific workload. It's understanding what the run costs are going to be in addition to the acquisition costs. And it's trying to understand how those costs compare to running on AWS. Right? And for the most part, this typically involves a lift and shift. So, I want it for like for like, just so that I can get an easy comparison. So key parts to a TCO analysis. First is you want to figure out your server costs, which is your, your hardware costs, figuring out your racks, um, and then anything related to the OS, um, any other software that may need to be involved, virtualization licenses, whether you're using VMware or Citrix. Right? Followed by that is your storage cost. So you want to take into account your hardware for buying NAS or SAN, um, figuring out what the admin cost for it and any other sort of taxation that occurs due to um, you know, the software that runs on these storage devices. Followed by that is your network cost, right? So think about your routers, think about um, your load balancers, DNS, et cetera, and then any admin costs related to it. Now, there's a key set of costs that typically gets missed by customers when they're conducting a TCO analysis. Any ideas? Data center? Resources, right? So, yep, it's your facilities costs, your space, your cooling, your heating, right? It's, it's all the other costs that some people think are just a black box. 
but you must include those costs into your TCO analysis because you need to be able to make sure that you're collectively identifying anything and everything that goes into running your existing on-prem environment. And so because when you pay for AWS, the cost includes everything related to your facilities, your space, et cetera. Now, in addition, so you've, you've mapped out your acquisition costs, right? So this is the cost for me to buy all my hardware. This is the cost for me to, to run and operate my data center. Now I also have to include in my migration cost, right? Because if I'm moving over to AWS, there is going to be some effort involved with this. So your migration costs may involve having some third-party tools to be able to assist with migration. Um, you may need to hire some external labor um, in addition to your, your existing FTEs. Um, and for depending on which scenario, whether you're going to lift and shift or re, uh, by rehosting, by VM conversion, by app containerization, there's going to be a slightly higher or lower cost associated with it, right? And finally, you know, IT labor costs, right? So this is the cost of your FTEs today that help you run your environment. This is the cost of your managed service provider that you may have to run your environment. So if you look at all of these costs today, right, the, this is sort of a holistic view of what it costs to run your environment and more or less what you would like to compare to when you're running into AWS. Now, one part that I want to dig a little bit deeper into is a migration cost. So you know, what actually are the different components of migrations, right? So there's, there's a planning stage where you will have to think about and, and talk to third parties in terms of understanding how you should lay this out, how many people may need to be involved, how long this will take, right? There's, there's a cost associated with that. And then you may have to purchase some migration tools. Migration tools uh, will be purchased via licenses. Maybe you'll work through a contract deal. You may need to hire third-party consulting partners. You, may, you will most likely need to conduct an application assessment. At some point in time, you'll be running duplicate environments because once you migrate something over to AWS, you will run it in AWS for a period of time in tandem with your on-prem infrastructure until you feel comfortable, and then you will turn it down. So you will have this period of time, whether that be for a few weeks or a few months until you get comfort that the operations in AWS are functioning as well as or even better than what you have today. And finally, you'll have lease penalties. So for some customers, we found that as they move over to AWS and if they want to move out of their colo facility or their existing data center space uh, prior to their contract ending, they may have to, to pay a penalty for ending their contract. So if you associate the lease penalty costs into your analysis, then you can see whether or not there is a benefit of, of moving quicker or not, right? So in addition to that, right, so let's think about the migration planning and, and how long it will take. So you know, we within AWS Professional Services have come up with the high-level evaluation matrix um, just to be able to say, on average, how complex an upload might be to, work, to move over. And related to that, how many manual hours will be required um, with this, right? And this is assuming that we will use a tool as necessary. So if you look at it on the very low side, these are basic workloads, they're standalone, there's really no dependencies, there's really no databases. Think of it as a website, think of it as a, a high-level app server, Right? And then as you move more complex up the chain to more of the medium and high workloads, now you're seeing databases involved, now you're seeing multiple dependencies, potentially you may need to change your OS. So we're not talking about a complete re-architecture of moving from AIX or Unix to Linux, 
but maybe you're running on Windows 2003 and you need to move to a newer version. Maybe you're running on Red Hat Linux and now you're thinking, well, maybe I'll use CentOS or maybe I'll use Amazon Linux because of cost purposes. So there are some additional costs involved related to it. And on the bottom, you can see that we have you know, a number of different ways to be able to move these, out, these migration workloads over in a left and shift fashion. Right? So there's host cloning, there's um, live migration, which is since you put an agent on the source system, an agent on the target, and then they're doing live replication throughout. And then when you decide to cut over, you can cut over. So this way, any block of data that's changed in your source system is in near real time captured in your target system. Right? So, and after you do all of this, you can go ahead and come up with a sample TCO output. So you've determined your input costs for how much it costs to procure all your hardware, you've determined your labor costs, you've determined your migration costs at a high level for lift and shift, and outcomes and analysis that says you will save X number of dollars on AWS, hopefully. And so through that, this is completely fine, it's what's been done for years, and it's fairly acceptable. Right? However, you know, we suggest you really don't stop here. Right? There's additional aspects and components to consider. So the second one being technology optimization. So the first rule of technology optimization is you don't compare your current on-prem to a like-for-like -like environment. You want to compare it to a future state re-architected environment. And what does that mean? AWS gives you a lot of power, a lot of ability to be able to do interesting things that you may not have otherwise thought of in, on, in your on-prem network. And so when you, when you think about the power of not having to manage your own infrastructure, think about containers and ECS and ECR. Think about using Lambda. Think about using Kinesis for streaming. Right? You don't need to necessarily have a physical footprint in place. You don't need to necessarily need to put these on EC2 instances. You can go ahead and utilize the managed service and the benefits that AWS provides you. So if, you, if you're trying to compare as to what this looks like, no, we have really five main components of technology optimization. Right? The first one is services. So think about what are the non-optimized and optimized services that you can potentially use. So non-optimized services in our minds are standard things like EC2, EBS, S3. Right? These are what you're focusing mainly on the infrastructure as a service component. The optimized services are the ones that are managed services or microservices. So think about Lambda, API Gateway. Think about um, Redshift, think about RDS, right? The key components where AWS is managing all the heavy lifting, the undifferentiated heavy lifting, and allowing you to focus mainly on your data and your application, right? So the idea here really is you want to make sure that you're picking the right services and you're comparing against the right services. Now, at some point in time, it may not make sense for you to do a, a huge leap. So if you have an old monolithic architecture where everything is um, stateful and you know, very highly dependent on each other, maybe the cost to migrate is too high for you to re-architect your environment. But maybe it will be in a two-phase approach where you do a lift and shift and then you move over into a more optimized type environment. And so if that's the case, then you still should be comparing that into it because if in year one you're using um, and a non-optimized environment, and year two, you're, like, you're using an optimized environment, well, your three or five year cost model should be able to show the change in pace. So make sure you're, you're pulling into account all the different areas 
that you can potentially optimize and where you would like to move, right, to build a more realistic business case. The second one is fit. So many times when we work with customers, what we end up finding is that they are over-provisioned. And so when you're over-provisioned on-prem, it's very natural to try and make your future state in AWS look exactly the same. And you don't necessarily want to do that because unlike the on-prem world where once you purchase something, you were stuck with it for the, for the next three, five years, however long it took you to depreciate it, in AWS it's fairly easy to resize. So what we say is think about what the re-architected environment would look like. Think about where you can get cost efficiencies and um, performance efficiencies by resizing your environment. And in addition to that, think about how you might be able to use different instance types or instance families. So just because you have 16 cores and 64 gigs of RAM, and just because you have that today, you can easily find an, an M4 instance that allows that. However, think about if this is a very compute-intensive workload, is it a memory-intensive workload, will one of the other instance families work better? Right? Or are you even able to decouple this where certain portions of this can run in something like Lambda for batch processing and such, or to be able to have event-based triggers, and only a smaller portion of it runs in, a, in EC2? The next area is price. So we offer a number of different pricing mechanisms that you can use, right? So uh, most of you are familiar with on-demand. You have RIs or reserved instances. You have spot. You have dedicated instances. Can someone tell me what are the different services that use reserved instances? Well, one everyone should know. EC2, RDS, Elasticash. Redshift. Right. So think about think about how you can utilize these other services and and using Reserve, Spot. We recently announced that you can use Spot for EMR. So that can significantly save you money if you're running if you're running EMR jobs for a short period of time. And even within Spot, think about how you can use Spot Fleet versus Spot Blocks. So. And then for dedicated instances, you know, they can be very useful because they can help you with bring your own licensing. So if you have a very good deal worked out with one of your vendors, whether it be an OS vendor or a database vendor, and dedicated hosts allow you to be able to port your license over, um, that can also be very useful in order for you to decrease your cost and optimize your technology. Right? And then also think about, well, is this going to be non-prod or prod? For prod environments, yes, they will most likely be running 24-7. For non-prod environments, you, may, you would want to look to see if they can be shut down at night. Right? So scaling is very important. Time-based. Do you know that your customers who are about to come to your website usually start the beginning of their workday at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning on a Monday morning? Well, maybe you can shut down your environment Friday evening, and then Monday morning, um, bring it up. You can think about time-based scaling as well as event-based scaling. Right? The difference is time-based or scheduled. You know prior to the event occurring when you need that capacity. Whereas event-based scaling is based upon certain triggers where you're having a lot of website, a lot of hits on your website, where you're having a lot of users on a certain box, that can go ahead and trigger a scaling event. And finally, one of the biggest things about this is that this is not static. Right? You can iterate on this periodically review and periodically update what this looks like. 
run this for one month, one week, a few months, right? see what the progression looks like, and you can review the data. AWS offers you a lot of data that you can utilize and a lot of third-party tools that you can utilize. And so that will allow you to review, see if these iteration, if, see if these optimizations make sense, and then try it again. So continuously think about how you can do this. This is the virtuous cycle of look to see are you using the right services? Did you select the right size? Did you select the right type? Are you pricing them accordingly? Can you scale them up or down? Review it. Oh, we just had reInvent. AWS released a whole slew of new services. Now I can go back and I should look at to see if my existing services that were, I was running on EC2, can they be replaced with a newer, newer instance type or a newer type of service that was released by AWS? Right. And when we really talk about these services, you know, there's a large number of managed services that AWS offers. Right. This is not a fully exhaustive list, but it is fairly comprehensive. And this does not include any of the new services that we released in the last two days. Right? So if you really think about containers, right, ECS and ECR, if you really think about data warehousing, right, Amazon Redshift, if we recently announced Athena, if you think about DynamoDB, you think about Kinesis, and Kinesis falls into Kinesis Streams and Kinesis Firehose. Right? If you look at Amazon Machine Learning as being a place where you don't necessarily have to have the full environment. Think about how you can utilize API Gateway, right? That prevents you from actually having to build and, and deploy these types of services and manage them continuously and add on the overhead of a user or a, an IT um, employee to be able to maintain it. So I want to walk through one quick use case just to show the power of what this would look like. So we had a customer where it was essentially a financial services institution um, and they wanted to build out an automated advisory platform. So it's a fairly straightforward flow, right? You, they collect data. The data is coming from a variety of different places, so that data can come from banks, they can come from a financial advisor, it can come from other parts of the internet or sources of data and or their customer. Right? That, then, that data then comes in and gets stored. And it gets stored in a variety of databases, and those databases are used to do customer analysis, benchmarking, processing, et cetera. And then after the data was stored, they would pick and choose specific parts of data to be able to say whether or not this portfolio was appropriately uh, constructed. Right? So, and then they can, it can lay out a proposed new portfolio of a different equities and, and different um, fixed income products to be able to say, is it fine? And then it does a suitability check. Right? Are these products that we're offering suitable for the individual based on their customer profile. Right? And then it can go ahead and have the conversation with the customer in nice, pretty graphs. So when you look to see what this would run on AWS, it's fairly easy. You can go ahead and put it on EC2. You can put it on um, install databases on each EC2 instance and then be able to go ahead and, and run a job, um, have an instance act as a batch server, and be able to put out a report. Now, if you were to think about re-architecting this, think about how you can potentially change all this. So the data that's coming in can, move, can be put directly into S3. Data can also come in streams about using Kinesis. Then when you want to store it, you can create a data lake on S3 that comprises of all the different sources of, in, of data in one place, in which you can analyze using something like Amazon Elastic MapReduce. 
For the pieces of data that don't necessarily need to be in a relational database, think about using DynamoDB. If you just need a key value pair, it can be much faster and it can be cheaper. So then you can use all that information to go put it into an analytics engine of using EMR, hold it into Redshift for data warehousing, and then predictably use machine learning to come up with new investment proposals. And you know, in this case, this customer ended up using Tableau, but now we have Amazon QuickSight, which allows you the ability to be allowed those visualizations to be able to put to our customers. So just by rethinking the way that your business process will flow, in addition to you know, the different technologies that you'll be using, can highly impact and affect what your cost structure will be on AWS. about the TCO, we talked about technology optimization. The next thing we want to think about is what we call the cost of change. And the cost of change is really the non-technology components. Right? So Shabazz talked about technology optimization, the many levers, the many services that you have uh, to be able to use, um, how you would price it, how you would scale it. But beyond that, when we're thinking about what the end business case looks like, Many of these things are forgotten. We don't think about compliance. We don't think about how we are aligning our business now differently when we're looking at um, a future state of technology-optimized um, infrastructure. We don't necessarily think about operational integration. We think about what talent we need to optimize. How, how are the new skills that our people need to, need to learn and need to pick up? Um, who's here has, who here has done the journey to Agile? How much fun was that? It was, right? Now, we have many customers who think about getting to AWS and then thinking of making the journey to Agile, right? But they don't necessarily think of costing and how that journey is going to, going to be impacting their employees and impacting their culture. Some, I was just speaking with a customer yesterday, and she mentioned that the change from Waterfall to Agile was the toughest thing she did in 20 years of IT management. Right? So if you think of doing that change and then moving to AWS and moving to sort of cloud uh, focus, um, those are things that companies don't necessarily think about as a cost of business. Um, thinking about how are we going to govern a new environment? How many customers have moved to AWS before IT did? Right? Absolutely. Then IT comes and says, okay, now I need to get my arms around it, so I need to put more governance and control, um, and now there's a cost to that, right? All the business, many, many business cases we see don't keep that cost as a consideration, and thus the business case is incomplete. So what are the, what are the tools and the frameworks you can use to help you think about these non-technology components? How many of you have heard of the cloud adoption framework? Excellent. Fabulous. So, so really for us, the cloud adoption framework is foundational um, as the principles and the perspectives that you can use to help guide your journey when you think about the non-technology components. We, do, we use the Cloud Adoption Framework um, as very much as a guiding principle to help you um, operationalize AWS, to help you build your journey. But now we've started to use it as a tool to help you build your business case, right? Now, the reality is <clears throat> the Cloud Adoption Framework has seven perspectives. Not necessarily all of them would apply when we think about what are the elements um, to add to your business case. So, one of the suggestions we have is to focus on just the relevant components. And what I'm going to talk about today is I'm going to focus on three or four perspectives that um, you know, we believe are probably the most relevant. 
Um, you know, it would be fabulous if some of you went back and said, oh, there's this other component and uh, this other perspective, and it, it also has relevant um, applicability, and if that applies to you, that's great. What we're going to give you today is just some guidance and some thoughts. It's by no means, you know, the only way to do, that, do it, but some things to think about. So let's talk about two perspectives, the people perspective and the process perspective. Um, and, and some of the things, like I, I highlighted earlier, um, when you think about the cost of governance, right? So now the cloud, um, whether in your, in your future state environment, you're going to have a different environment that needs to be, that has different standards. You're going to have some different control. Um, a consumption model, right? Who has access to AWS? How am I going to manage that? Do I need to get a third-party tool, right? Um, if you go on the expo, you'll see many, many uh, ISVs have now built businesses on top of AWS offering sort of value-add services um, that are really, really um, valuable to your business, right? Um, you know, there's, there's, there's products that help you uh, understand better billing than some of the native tools we have. Right? There's other tools that help you look at more compliance and more security. So all these need to be thought of and costed as part of your business case um, because you can easily get to that future state that Shabazz decided, uh, showed you, and then six months later go tell you know, the CFO the, or, or the CIO, I need to buy more software. Well, it wasn't part of the business case. Now everybody's getting a little bit concerned. Um, also really, really important is the organizational change management component, right? I just talked about the Agile, the journey, um, you know, and, and that's very similar to what your cloud journey would look like, right? So how many of you have built a cloud COE or a cloud center of excellence? You can call it anything you want. Um, that's good, I see a couple of hands. And, and that is one example <clears throat> of, some, of sort of a new operating model um, that you have to sort of institutionalize and, and build. There's a cost of that too, right? You're going to have meetings. You're, you're going to maybe move people around. You're going to maybe add new people. That's not always captured in the business case, right? So build that up front, right? Think, think, be practical and pragmatic and realize that you are probably most likely going to need it, right? So build that cost in. <clears throat> Training. Training is really, 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 really important, right? In, in many cases, we will say, um, I mean, without a training item and without a training line item, your journey to the cloud is going to be very, very, very difficult, right? Build that training into the business case. Expect, actually, that you will train more people than you ever thought you will. Because the minute people start coming back after that training, there's a real sense of excitement. And somebody who wasn't maybe on the initial list to be trained will want to be part of that process as well. Will want to be part of that journey. So be really, really generous. This is a new journey. Broaden out the scope of who is going to get trained. Other elements to think about on the process side, um, you know, an asset managed strategy, um, account management, right? Um, so much of this can get out of hand and out of control. Um, you know, when we, we want to make it flexible, we want to make it easy. You know, sometimes we say, sometimes our customers say, you make it too easy to use the cloud, right? That's a good thing, but when it comes to an enterprise, right, and, and really building controls and making sure you, you, you have your hands all around it, there's a cost to managing those accounts. Doesn't have to be a lot, but don't forget it. Make sure you think of it. Um, managing your assets now. I mean, as much as we say, you know, your your your, your instances are, are are cattle, not pets, right? I still have customers saying, well, how does that go back and integrate into my CMDB, right? How do I manage my assets? That's how you choose to do your business. There's a cost to it. There's a cost to that integration. Keep that in mind as well. And then, 
in the enterprise and in other organizations as well, the cost of integrating into your existing tool set, right? Many of you have made investments into existing tools and technology and processes, and you want the cloud process and the cloud technology to integrate into that, right? Have you built a new cloud operating model, right? Is there a set of cloud operations? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're going to have an MSP, for example, manager. Another really, really particular line item that's missed in a business case, the cost of an MSP, right? Managed service provider. Build that in, in build that in up front because it will be a cost item later, and too many organizations get to the end state and say, well, I can't manage it, right? If that's something that's of very strategic importance, um, build that in up front. Another thing to look, think about is your business strategy. And this one, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about this, speaking to customers and saying, why is this one really important, right? And it is because you're, you're going to realign your IT strategy, right, potentially. Is there a cost to that? Absolutely there is, right? Is there a cost now of the shadow IT getting realigned and business IT? There is a cost to that, right? Managing a new set of vendors. It doesn't take a lot to manage AWS, right? But you, it, like I said earlier, if you have other vendors now in your ecosystem, um, whether they're providing one value add service, whether it's an MSP, these are all new vendors that have to be managed. And reality is, in the world, especially if you're in a hybrid world and if you're just starting your cloud journey, there's a duplicate. You're going to have more vendors in this future state than you had in your present state, right? So there's a cost to that, right? So we've talked about um, TCO, we've talked about technology optimization, we've talked about cost of change, and now we actually come to my favorite, which is business value, right? Business value is the last lever that should be part of your business case. And really all this is about is about understanding how IT can now help and enable the business, right? Lower, so IT wants, you need to be in a position where you're lowering the cost on building and supporting infrastructure. You're going to be pivoting to concentrate on new initiatives and new projects. And the best part is dedicating more resources to innovation, right? Moving away from the undifferentiated lifting and shifting, managing those VMware instances, managing your private clouds, right? You're now moving into IT as a utility. You're still probably gonna have the same IT staff, but now you're switching them from doing low value work to high value, right? I'm gonna help you think how to quantify that. And this, this is kind of what your organization looks like in the future state, right? Builders want to be enabled, right? The builders are your developers. In many cases, the builders is now your business unit, right? I was recently speaking to a customer at a large financial institution, and he's looking, he, he actually does data science, he does, he's a data scientist, he does a lot of data, big data and, uh, analytics, um, you, you know, using speech, uh, using speech uh, patterns, using um, all kinds of unstructured data. And he said, I've got this really brilliant idea. I want to go ahead and um, you know, build it in the cloud. Um, well, I wanted to build it. And I went to IT, and IT said, my data lake is full. Right? Data lakes don't get full. <laughs> right? Now, he's really frustrated because he wants to build. Right? He doesn't want to be blocked. He doesn't want to be told next year. Because next year, there's going to be a very different business challenge he needs to be solved. Right? You need to switch IT now to be more of an enabler, 
right? So that's why one of the things that we build, we want you to think about in your business case, is thinking about those tangible and quantifiable benefits that the cloud brings to you, right? Not just the TCO, right? The technology is one thing we talked about, right? We've talked about the cost of change, but now what we want you to start thinking about is tangible cost savings and quantifying business value, right? So when we think about quantifying the business value, these are line items that will help you build value to the business, right? Add to your bottom line, or potentially even add to your top line, right? Let's think about some of those intangible values. Business agility, right? We, you've heard this before today. You've heard, sorry, this week, right? Now, with the cloud, you can get more rapid and less expensive experimentation, right? I spoke to another customer that said, there was a, in our previous sort of generation, if we wanted to experiment, I'd have to go buy a license, I'd have to build a server, um, I'd have to put a change request with IT, and the whole process of that experiment would take six months. What did we end up doing? We ended up not experimenting, okay? Now, you can quantify how many experiments you can do in a year, in a month, in a quarter, right? Many more of those experiments mean many more successes will come out of it, right? Fast replication deployment, who doesn't believe that? We can quantify that. If you were able to get X amount of applications deployed in the space of you know, Y time, we can help you increase that productivity, right? And you should be able to quantify that. If you're getting more applications through your pipeline, more products are getting through, more projects are getting completed faster. The ROI and the, and the, uh, um, the benefit of that, those projects are getting earned quicker, meaning you can get more projects through the same period of time, right? Fast business decisions, right? You can get faster time to market with the decisions that you're making, being, being, have, having access to all that agility. The second one is what we call workforce productivity. <clears throat> and this is the one that I'm actually gonna show you a working example of, right? Your, builders don't wanna be blocked. They have access to infrastructure quicker, right? You're, you're giving them access to a platform without having to get through many, many steps of, of approval and many, many steps of, of, of build out, right? That means your, build, your developers are not faster, their individual productivity is greater, right? And what that means is um, they're able to work things faster. One other culture that we're seeing is what we call the self-service culture, right? How great is the AWS documentation? It's fabulous, right? You don't need six layers of help desk to get through helping you understand what worked and what didn't work, right? Your developers can now look for that stuff themselves. They don't have to go through the help desk. They don't have to call a vendor, right? That's the beauty of the cloud and on the new open learning environment, right? You can actually quantify those as cost savings, right? Increased automation. People are not sitting on their keyboards waiting for things waiting to happen, right? I was a Unix, Unix admin in 1996, and we never had the automation tools back then. We'd actually have people sitting on the keyboard watching for logs to come in and, and get, you had to move them over because the tools weren't there, right? This is one that we, we actually have seen, right? You were able to keep your developers longer, right? With the excitement of the tools, the excitement of the platform, greater retention. How expensive is it to go in, out and hire 
new, highly skilled, and highly trained staff, right? That's a cost of business that you should be able to quantify. The next one was operational resilience. This one, I, this one is easy for us to justify because it's very, it's, it's very clear the platform gives you more redundancy, there's improved system performance. What is the cost impact of system downtime? Right? We, we, worked with the, we worked with the financial institution and we quantified the loss of revenue when, this, when access to the customer front end was down. Right? Five minutes on a website that delivers e-commerce, what is the cost of revenue to that? Because you'll never get those customers back again. They won't come back and say, well, let me come back when the website is up. You've lost that revenue. Right? More improved security posture. With AWS, you will actually spend less time building security, right? You can, just like the developers, your security people are more productive, right? The more changes, just with the Agile process, CI, CDs, right? You're able to get more releases through. You're going to have less bugs. You're going to spend less time on rework, right? You should be able to quantify that as well. Here's an example um, of what we call calculating a productivity improvement. So what we did in this example was broke down a set of tasks that, in this case, it was server admin, server engineering, right? We broke down a task of what it would take um, for, 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 or for a department to build a server, right? Or bring up an instance, et cetera. Do you do it the, the old way or you do it the, new, the AWS way? And we're able to quantify percentage of savings right off the bat. That's lower cost. That's money added to the bottom line. Okay? This is just one example. Each of those KPIs and each of those business agility drivers, I, I said, you should be able to work through a framework to be able to quantify those. And that was just a representative example. Many of you are in businesses that already have measurements and business output drivers or business, business process drivers that you, that you, um, you know, are measured on. Right? You should be able to pick one of those and work through that process to say, how is AWS, how is the cloud going to help me drive improvement in that? How can I quantify that? Okay? In the end, the business case, a solid business case, helps you, like we said in the beginning, define your current and future costs. It will help you envision the art of the possible. And this one is really, really key. Right? Think big. Right? Define a future state. Like Shabazz said, you might not get that future state in year one. You might get it to year two, but drive to that end future state. And that's the business case you should build, right? Not what you think is possible, but really what is possible, right? And reflect your cloud transition. Like I said, the cost of change, right? O over provision some costs because it's much easier to gain those benefits as opposed to it being a surprise later. How many of us have gone and said, ah, the business case wasn't as good as it, as it came out to be, right? Think about training. Think about governance. Think about integration. Build all those in. And then finally, quantify the tangible benefits. Without quantifying the final benefits, it is just a plain TCO comparison, right? The business benefits are what your CEO wants to hear about what your business owners want to hear about. They are getting those benefits today. What is not necessarily happening as much is the quantification of them, right? And as soon as you can quantify them, play them back, you get more empowered to continue your cloud journey. Thank you.
Don't forget your valuations. Yes. So with that being said, uh, we really appreciate you for coming to the last session. Rayhan and I will stick around for any questions that you may have. Uh, we'd also like to extend the thanks out to our colleagues, Naraj Zaveri, uh, Mark Metcalf, and Leslie Goldstein for helping us uh, with some of the content for this presentation as well. But thank you, enjoy, have a safe flight home. Thank you, safe travels.